September 10, 2009 in San Diego. Just that's as big as we can have with the cable. Can you all see? It's a good size. Okay, you still like about four times that big. But all right. All right, we're going to tell a little story. Oh, I don't have my mic. But do I need my mic? I hardly even need my mic. Yeah. We're going to. Is it? We're going to tell a little story. That is in some ways, all, all of our stories. Okay? Yeah. Remember when we were little kids, we used to read those fables about people who got three wishes or one wish and they always blew it? Remember that? Like there'd be some old couple that got three wishes and one of them would say, oh, I wish you just had horns on your head and then they'd have to wish them off and they'd use up their three wishes. Remember those stories? Did you remember, did you have those stories when you kid? No. No? <laughs> in Mexico, they didn't tell stories about people who got wishes and wished for the wrong thing. Or like that Midas who wanted to touch, everything he touched turned into gold. You ever heard that story? Okay, all right. And then he touched his daughter and his loaf of bread and all that kind of thing. So this is a little story about our journey in this world and what kind of things we want and what they get us. Okay, and this is the first time I've ever shown this to anybody. You are very special. Okay. So this starts off with a merchant who goes to the forest to get some little sticks to gather up and sell in the marketplace. This is an old story. So it's a story when people used to burn wood. I guess here in San Diego, you hardly ever have to have heaters at all. Do you have to run the heat in the wintertime? A little bit. Little bit, right? But even for cooking, you nobody here burns wood for cooking, do they? No. Okay, but still in many parts of the world, people burn wood for cooking and even for heating. So this merchant has gone to the forest to pick up some sticks to burn. Actually, I was just uh, staying in New Zealand where many of my neighbors would do this, go out in the forest and gather sticks, at least for their own stove. So similarly, we've come to this world. This analogy is given in the sacred literature of the Srimad Bhagavatam, that we're all compared to a merchant who's come to this world trying to make a profit. So that's like our merchant here. And she decided that she was going to try to find some sticks to sell. So we also come to this world and we're thinking, let me find something that will be very pleasing. Something that will give me some profit, that will give me some enjoyment. And we go around gathering them up. We gather up a house and we gather up a car. And nowadays one also was going to gather up a computer and a mobile phone. We just stopped by an electronic store and there was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of products. So, you know, people are gathering up all these different products in their car and then, you know, their pets and their family members and their friends and their jobs and their diplomas and 
These are all like gathering all these little sticks in the forest that will think these are going to get me some profit. And after gathering them up, she put them on her head. If any of you have been in many parts of the world, uh, people often carry sometimes very heavy burdens like that. And you can carry a large amount. You know, I remember in the days before we had rolling suitcases, you used to have to pay somebody at the airport or the train station to carry your luggage. And before that, people would carry even large amounts of luggage on their head. So all of these things that we collect in this world that we think is going to make us a profit and bring us happiness, we're kind of carrying it around with us. It's something we have to take care of. It's something we have to maintain. You know, if you, you get yourself a nice house, then you have to keep it clean, you have to keep it painted, you have to pay for the electricity, you have to take care of the plumbing, right? It's, it's something that you're carrying on your head. she's carrying it, she's thinking about all the ways that these sticks she's gathered are going to give her enjoyment. And that's, again, exactly what we're doing. Whatever it is, what clothes we have, what jewelry we have, what money we have, our house, our car, our family, everything that we have, we're thinking, now I, I'm carrying it very nicely, I'm taking care of this, I'm protecting it, and it's going to give me so much pleasure. So as she's absorbed in thinking about all the pleasure that she's going to get from all the things she's collected and carried so carefully, yes, so this also happens, right? Although we're taking nice care of everything, uh, there's some problem. Our things get stolen, or they get broken, or the person we love leaves us and runs off with our best friend, right? <laughs> Somebody smashes into our car. And the main thing that we're carrying around for our enjoyment in this world, believe it or not, is this body. I said, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Actually, we're something different from this body. We're a spiritual being. And we're, we've taken on this body just like another possession that we're carrying around with us thinking this body is going to bring me happiness. Just like this merchant was thinking the sticks are going to bring me pleasure. And what happens to the body? It gets old. It gets sick. It gets injured. And ultimately, it gets old. And just like she had to be so careful with those sticks... So we're always being careful every time we walk, walking upstairs, downstairs, we're driving our car. We're always so careful. But even despite the utmost care, uh, still there's so many catastrophes that no matter how carefully you take care of your things, even your own body, even your own mind, which is also not us, still there's going to be problems. And then what do we do? Let me try to gather everything up. Let me try to get back to where I was before. Right? My body's falling apart. I'll get plastic surgery or I'll take this medicine. My, you know, my spouse has run off with my best friend. Let me find another spouse. I've lost my job. Let me get another job. This thing's gone. Let me fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. So at first, we're thinking I'm going to collect the things of this world and I am going to enjoy them. And we're 
then when they disappoint us, we're thinking, I'll fix it, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. The problem is that it starts to get dark. Our life starts drawing to a close. And we're not able to gather together everything we wanted. We have unfinished plans, and this didn't work out. The other thing didn't work out, and this is happening, and that is happening. And we're saying, I've been able to fix some of the things, but I can't fix all of them. And sometimes an intelligent person says, all right, let me turn to something higher. Let me turn to God. My dear Lord, please help me. Now, our merchant in this story was very fortunate because most of the time when we ask God to help us, he doesn't show up. But in this case, he did. So just imagine, you know, you have some problem in life, dropped all your sticks and it's getting dark and it's hard to pick them up and you say God help me and there he is yes what would you like Now, if we take a look at this picture here, we can see the kind of things that the Lord is offering our little merchant here. And she's not really sure what to do, is she? She's kind of thinking about it. So what do we have here? Well, we have scenes here of the ultimate reality. These are all pictures of what goes on in the spiritual world. That this forest of the material world is not the only existence. Just like in most forests, somewhere nearby there's a town or a city where people don't have to just sort of live out in the wild. Things are more comfortable. So this material world, this forest of enjoyment in the material world, where we try to gather objects of the senses, like these little sticks, thinking about how they're going to make us happy, and we're balancing them on our head and sometimes dropping them and then stirring to pick them up, this is not the only reality. There's another reality where people don't walk around carrying material bodies and material minds or worrying about collecting sense objects for their bodies and minds, but where they're in their original spiritual form without this heavy body, without this ignorant body full of blood and bones and hair that when we're 20 or 16 we think is so attractive. Right? But if we took all the parts of our body and put it on a plate, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be very attractive. Even our nice teeth and our eyeballs, you know, they were all lined up in front of us. So there's a place where people don't have to carry around this burden of a body or even a material mind, which causes us so much fear and anxiety. Where there's no discord in relationships, where there's no looking for pleasure in sense objects, but there's rather looking for pleasure in spiritual service. 
and in love and in just relationships called uh, play. Actually, in that world, instead of work, this world is a world of work. You know, you're striving so hard to collect your sticks and you're striving so hard to balance them and you're hoping you can sell them and then maybe you drop them and you've got to pick them up and maybe you sell your sticks and you get a little bit of enjoyment for a short amount of time. And then again, you've got to go out and collect more sticks. But in the spiritual world, it's not like that. It's simply krita. It's simply play. Simply play. Simply lila, just sport. Just like in this world, we try as much as possible to do things that are just sport instead of work. And nowadays, of course, when people are at work, they're engaged in sport. <laughs> I suppose that was true even in my parents' day. People would bring their newspapers to work. But when people are at work, they're trying to sneak onto the internet and check on their favorite sporting event, their favorite pastime. What's my baseball team doing? What's my football team doing? Right? Or playing this game or that game. Our natural tendency is just to want to play. When we were children, we wanted to play. Our parents said, you better go to school, you know, or the truant officer will arrest you. Or when you're older, you won't be able to do anything but dig ditches. Right? And when we got older, we still wanted to play. Then we wanted to play more sophisticated games. And we just wanted to enjoy. So the spiritual world is a world simply of enjoyment. And here, the Lord is offering our little merchants and saying to her, why don't you come to that world and enjoy? You can have whatever you want. Well, guess what she picks? She says, I think the only thing I want is just to get all my sticks back and have to carry them on my head again. So often this is the kind of benediction when people take up religious life. Act, they start praying to the Lord, my dear Lord, please give me a long life in this body. Let me carry that stick around for a long time. Give me a strong body. Give me a lot of money. Give me beauty. Give me fame. Give me a happy family. Give me a beautiful house. Give me a nice car. And all that is is asking, please help me pick up the burden and carry it on my head. Instead, one should ask for something so great that one never has to ask for anything more anywhere of anyone. That's the kind of benediction we can ask. Now, you might say, well, what kind of benediction is that? What would be a thing that we could ask for that would be so completely satisfying that we'd never have to ask for anything else? Because if we're asking the Lord, you know, please help me pick up all my burdens and carry them around again, then what happens? Either you sell them, you use them up, and then you have to pick up some more again, or you drop them and you've got to pick up some more again. You never become satisfied. You never become satisfied. You get a nice house, and then you start collecting things and filling up the house. Then after a while you say, we need a bigger house. Or your wife says, we need a bigger house. You get one car, then you want another car. Right? You get one computer, and then you're thinking... Hmm, I'd like a better computer. Isn't it? It's like I got this computer, I guess, about two years ago, and I thought it was so much better than my previous computer. And for the first month, I was happy with it. And then after a while, I started thinking, 
you know, it's got this really good thing, but I wish it were like this. And then you want something more and something more. The studies have shown that no matter how much somebody's earning, they always want to earn 10% more. Always thinking, I want better, I want better. But why do we think that way? Because the things in this world are not really satisfying. They're not actually satisfying. Therefore, we should desire that thing, having gained which we would actually feel satisfied. What would that thing be? Anybody have an idea? What could that be that thing that we could work for and want that when we got it, we wouldn't have to ask for anything else? We'd actually be satisfied. Some idea? Relationship with God. Why if we had a, well, we all have a relationship with God because he's feeding us (laughs) and giving us air and so many things. So what kind of relationship with God would we have to have? A more personal relationship. A serving relationship. That doesn't sound very attractive. (laughs) I was just uh, talking with a friend of mine who said, I hate the word servant. I don't like the word servant. He said, I hate. He said, I hate the word servant. Servant's not a very popular word in the modern Western civilization. How many of you, oh, I won't ask you, but I bet you that not very many people here have servants. You'd be surprised. There was a time, not that long ago, 60, 70 years ago, when most people, even in the West, did have servants. Of course, we still have servants. They're called computers and washing machines and cars, and which then have lead to unemployment. Right? More and more and more businesses are automating things to get rid of people and then we wonder why the unemployment rate is so high. But anyway, to say we want to be a servant of God is not very attractive. I know in our books we often talk about being a servant of Krishna. When they were first translated into Russian, the translators translated as slave. (laughs) Be a slave of God. (laughs) Still some people started chanting Hare Krishna, which is rather surprising. <laughs> it must have been pretty bad, right? <laughs> but most of us aren't very attracted to being a servant. I mean, most people who are servants are aspiring for some higher position. So when you say that we want a relationship as a servant of God, how, how could you explain how that would actually be pleasing? Why would that be satisfying? Because it's satisfying for him. It satisfies him. If it satisfies him, wouldn't it satisfy me? Can you explain that logically? Why, if I satisfied God, I'd be satisfied? Well, because you could be a servant to other things except for God. Like, you could be a servant to material sense of money. You could be a slave of yourself. Okay, so a question to ask is, are any of us really anything else but servants? I was thinking the other day about how I have to sleep every day. And I'm really getting tired of the sleeping business. <laughs> I was thinking how many hours that I'm spending every day doing nothing. Wouldn't it be nice if I could do something with that time? It'd be nice if I could sleep when I wanted to sleep. 
but I'm forced to sleep. It gets to a point every day where I say, I, I can't function anymore. I have to sleep. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not just a servant of my body. I'm a slave of my body. My body says sleep. And at a certain point, I have to obey. You know, I, I suppose you could try to stave it off with caffeine or amphetamines or something for a while, but that would catch up with you really badly after some time. You know, there, there gets to a point where I have to say, yes, sir. Does the body control the soul? Can the body control the soul? Ah, uh, interesting question. Interesting question. But in my normal, con in my conditions, material condition state, I'm a slave to my body. Well, it doesn't actually have to. He's making a good point. But why is it that when the body says eat, I have to eat? or to use the toilet, we call it the call of nature. It calls, come, and we say, okay, <laughs> I'm coming. I read about some guy who got arrested when he got off a plane. He was on the plane and he said, you know, I, I just got dysentery in Mexico and all the bathrooms were full. And so he wanted to use the bathroom in first class. And the, the uh, what do you call it, flight attendant had him arrested when the plane landed. So yeah, we're the slave of our body. Body says do this. We can hold off for a while. You can hold off drinking water for a while or eating for a while or sleeping for a while. But at a certain point, you have to say yes. And what to speak of all the possessions that we get in this world, we also become the slaves to those possessions. We have to maintain them. We have to take care of them. And not only that, but even our human relationships. If we want to have human relationships, we have to give to them. We can't just neglect our family and friends and think that we're going to get the, what we need. And there's act that we actually have needs. You can't just say, well, I'll just live without community. I'll just live without anything. We wouldn't be able to survive psychologically. So, yes. Fascinating. So I think... We, we are in a point where we should see that I'm, I am serving. I'm serving something, or we can look at it instead of serving, we can think of it in terms of giving. That basically we're designed to be givers, not takers. Even something we're taking, we're giving to it. You know, if I'm taking from the earth, I also have to give to the earth. I have to plow it. I have to do something. I can't just take. It's impossible just to take and not give. I can't even just take from the body and not give. It catches up with me after a while. So then the question becomes, if I'm naturally a giver, if that seems to be my natural relationship, is that of a giver, then why not give to the best place? So yes, our relationship with God is that of a giver. Of course, God's relationship with us is that of a giver also. He's giving us everything. He's given us this body even. He's given us everything. All right, so we have a relationship with God as a giver. Why would that satisfy us, though? Why would that be more satisfying than just giving to this body and giving to our sticks? You can turn off that projector, by the way, so that's not annoying. I was thinking in terms of, like, addicts, like people who are addicted to substances, like, they, uh, they're basically, like, slaves slaving away, trying to satisfy their, and then it never satisfies, right? It never satisfies. 
what they need and then responds and then like you know with you like you give to God and then like what he gives back to you it's like more than anything can like Okay. Oh, so, so you're making a comparison with our material things, it's like addiction. And it's a fact because you said how can the body control the soul? In the ultimate reality, I don't need this body. And those who are enlightened beings, they really don't need to eat and sleep and drink water. They don't, they don't really, because we don't really need any of those things for the body. So an enlightened being doesn't need to do those things. And these things are really just addictions. It's a fact. You know, our idea that I'm going to be happy by enjoyment of the senses of this body and mind is basically an addiction. It's not something that we need. Just like if someone's addicted to alcohol, nobody needs alcohol to live, right? Nobody needs tobacco to live. So in the same way, we don't really need this body or this world to live at all. It's something artificial that we're thinking, I need it. And then we become a slave to it. However, if we become a servant of God, if we become a giver to God, that's a very different experience. Because that's a free reciprocation of love. It's not actually slavery, it's freedom. When I'm giving to this body and giving to the things of this world, then it's like slavery. Slavery, you're really not given much in return. You know, I'm, I'm working for the body, I'm working for the body, I'm working for the body, and I get a very little something. You know, just to, to eat, how much time do we spend eating? How much enjoyment do we get from eating? Maybe hour, an hour and a half a day? And then how much time are one working to get that food? You know, if you had to grow the food and you're thinking all the hours you'd have to spend planting the seeds and plowing the field and weeding the field and collecting the harvest and preparing the food, and we think we're very sophisticated now because we don't have to do that, but you spend the same amount of time and energy driving to work and being at the job and going to the supermarket and paying for electricity for the refrigerator and so forth and so on. So there's this huge amount of work that one does for a small amount of pleasure. And then of course you have to clean up afterwards. And then if you eat the wrong kinds of food, then you may suffer with diseases or obesity or so many things. So the amount of pleasure, like someone once said, you work 50 weeks a year and you get a two-week vacation. You know, it's not even 50-50. So we're, we're giving and giving and giving, and the pleasure we get back is very small. And the pleasure we get back isn't even always pleasurable. It's not that that hour and a half of eating every day is always unlimited ecstasy. Half the time when people are eating, they're not even aware of what they're eating. They're doing, you know, something. I'm trying to just, just chewing something. So how much pleasure is there in that? So our service to this world is very much like that. You're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, and you're getting just barely enough to keep going. Really, just like a slave who's given just enough so that they can live and keep serving the master. That's all. In slavery, the masters aren't interested in giving the slaves anything for their own enjoyment. They just want the slaves to live long enough and well enough so they can serve the master. So material service is like that. We get just enough pleasure to keep going, just enough to think, oh, there may be some more over the horizon, there may be some more over the horizon. But if we connect directly to the Lord, if we connect directly to Krishna, then one gets unlimited pleasure because he's actually the reservoir of all pleasure. Just like if you have a huge lake and you're pulling a little bit of water from it, but if you go to the lake, there's all of the water. So whatever pleasure exists in this world is actually we're tasting a little bit of God. 
the pleasure in the um, water, the pleasure in food, the pleasure in sex, the pleasure in relationships, the pleasure in a home, the pleasure in a beautiful day. All that pleasure is actually coming from God. But because we're trying to exploit it, because we're trying to enjoy it in, in an illusory way, we become slaves. And we don't get much pleasure out of it. If we try to enjoy it in the proper way, then we actually enjoy it. So the proper way to enjoy it is in a loving relationship. I mean, a very simple analogy would be just like the government, a, a good government, decent government, even a half-decent government, wants the citizens to be happy. And you can enjoy so many things in the country with the blessings of the government. But if you try to steal things from the government, then you're put into prison, and then you're given just barely what you need to exist. You're working hard for very, very little profit. But if you decide that you want to be an honest citizen, then you get all of the benedictions of the country without all of that hard labor. So it's exactly like that. Our trying to enjoy this world is like we're trying to steal pleasure from God, in which case we become slaves to our body and slaves to our senses and slaves to this world. And as soon as we want to become honest citizens, then we have genuine enjoyment. So the real thing that we should ask for is, I'd like to be an honest citizen again. That's the real thing to ask for. Not, I want a better prison cell, you know, or I want some little better food here in the prison. But I'd like to become an honest citizen. And of course, the government wants you to become an honest citizen. No one in government wants people to stay in prison. Every government would like it. They'd love it if all the prisoners were reformed. Okay. Who wants to go through all the trouble of maintaining a prison house? So Krishna very much wants, Krishna's the Supreme Lord, he very much wants that we become honest citizens. That's what he wants. That's the thing he would like to give us. He would like to give us unlimited pleasure as free citizens. Therefore, if we ask for that thing genuinely, uh, then he will certainly facilitate us getting it. Now, of course, there's a process for how one goes from being in the prison to being an honest citizen. It's not that one just says, yeah, I want to be an honest citizen, and immediately you become that. There needs to be some training, how again to act in, as an honest citizen. Just like I met one person in India whose parents died when he was very young, and he grew up on the streets, and he grew up by stealing. And at one point, he, just, he became attracted to the Hare Krishna movement. Actually, his attraction was that he saw a picture of my spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, the founder of our movement, wearing a, very, wearing a nice watch on the cover of our magazine, and he thought, I want to find him and steal that watch. <laughs> so he came to one of our temples, and uh, he stayed there. And he was saying, it was a, we were just building that temple in India, in Bombay, and it was just really a little shack that we just started out there. And most of the people living there were from America, and they thought it was very austere and very difficult with the rats, and you know. And he thought it was like a palace because he always just lived out on the street. Anyway, so he was working really hard and, you know, cleaning the pots and scrubbing the floors. But he said it took two years to give up his stealing habit. He didn't tell everybody that he used to be a thief. But they'd sometimes the, the temple uh, president would send him out to buy things for the temple. And if he didn't have enough money to buy what he needed, he'd steal from somebody to buy something. You know, anyway, finally he met Srila Prabhupada. And Prabhupada said to him, so why have you come here? And at that point, he'd become a little purified by the spiritual process. And he said, Prabhupada, I came to steal your watch. And then Prabhupada took off his watch and handed it to him and said, here, you can have it. He said, no, it's okay, I don't want it anymore. But he said it took him two years wow. to, give up, to give up his habit. 
So in the same way, we're very accustomed to thinking that happiness means enjoyment for the senses of this body. That the way I'm going to be happy is by carrying around a bunch of sticks. We, be, we become habituated to thinking in that way. So it takes some time to change that habit and actually come back to our birthright as honest citizens in the kingdom of God. And that is our spiritual process, how to reform our mentality so that, again, we can enter into our inheritance. And that is the thing that we should be asking for. We shouldn't be asking for, let me try to stay in the prison, let me try to be comfortable in the prison, uh, let me have all of the things for enjoyment in this world. So questions, comments? Yes. All right. Uh, my understanding is that we should serve Krishna whether or not the, the pleasure comes. So if we're serving Krishna and the pleasure isn't there, then like, what would motivate us to continue? Don't let him hide it. He's not trying to hide conversation. I thought that was a very good question. But no worry, I won't let anybody hide So you're saying that that serving Krishna, because Krishna is a reservoir of pleasure, we should feel all pleasure. But sometimes serving Krishna, we may not feel that pleasure. Mm -hmm. So then what should we do? Well, that's just like if somebody's become addicted to alcohol, is the process of giving it up always pleasurable? For someone who's addicted to heroin? For someone who's addicted to cigarettes? Just like I've never smoked. And so giving up smoking is not a problem for me. Right? I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I need a cigarette. Now, just breathing clean air is much more pleasurable than breathing in smoke, isn't it? Fresh air. You know, you're right by the ocean or you're on a mountain and you're breathing the fresh air. That's so much more pleasurable than, like, <laughs> on the smoke. But while somebody's getting off of cigarettes, they may experience it as painful. person who's trying to wean themselves off of cigarettes, they may feel it painful not to smoke. They may feel breathing normal air as painful. Or the person who's become addicted to alcohol, they may find a day without alcohol is very, very painful. Whereas actually it's very pleasurable. Therefore, any spiritual process that tells you you don't have to do any austerity is cheating you. You cannot reform without austerity. There's going to be some pain. If you're habituated to steal, it may be painful to buy things honestly. Right? There may be some, some feeling of discomfort. But that pain will, will eventually turn into an ocean of pleasure. But generally, for materially conditioned souls, even a, a little experience of the spiritual gives immediately a kind of quality of happiness that you can't find materially. And we find that. We find, like, just like they were just chanting Hare Krishna. So if one enters into the chanting, of course, even if one just says Hare Krishna casually, but especially if one really enters into the chanting with one's mind and one's heart, you'll find a pleasure that really can't be explained just by the music. I mean, everybody here was a good musician, but there's a quality of happiness from the chanting of Hare Krishna. 
that you can't explain just by the musical ability of the people leading the chanting. And the same with the food that we serve that's offered to Krishna. Now you can have, there's some pleasure from eating very tasty food, but there's a certain pleasure from eating food that's been offered to Krishna that just doesn't exist in ordinary food, no matter how expert the cook is. And it's the same with all the spiritual things we do. So even a beginner who's finding taking up spiritual life to have some element of austerity in it and have some element of sacrifice in it will still have at least moments of experiencing a pleasure that has a different, very different quality from that of material happiness. Why? Because it's touching the self instead of just touching the body. And as one goes on in the process, if one's doing it right, then that feeling of happiness should increase both in quality and in quantity and also in duration. So if someone's going on in a spiritual process for a long, long period of time without any kind of reciprocation, then they're probably doing something wrong. The analogy is given just like if you're eating and you say, I don't feel any satisfaction. Then either you're not really eating, you're just chewing gum, you know, there's no nutrition, or you have some sort of parasites. So if someone says, this is a genuine spiritual process, but as you're practicing it, you don't come to higher realizations, you don't come to higher enjoyment. Either it's not a genuine spiritual process, either it's just chewing gum, or you're not doing it right. You're, 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 you know, you're eating, but there's parasites eating it. Or we compare it like you're lighting a fire. With one hand, you're lighting a fire, and the other hand, you're pouring water. So then it won't be effective, or it'll be effective after a very, very long time. But one should expect that there's some austerity and becoming purified. And, and again, anyone who tells you you can avoid all austerity, they're cheating you. It's not possible. You know, if you're a heroin addict and they say, oh, we have an easy treatment program, no pain, they're lying. That's not possible. And the austerity is, I think, one has to come to a realization to break the habit. Yes, one has to come to a realization to break a habit. Also, as one advances in the process, the austerities themselves become very joyful. And an analogy I can give you for that is, let's say you have, you know, a room in your house that's all full of clutter and dirt and it's just a mess. In the beginning, when you start it, you feel sort of overwhelmed and it's just difficult. But when you start getting toward the end, it becomes pleasurable. Isn't it like that? As you start seeing the end, then it's like, oh, good, more dirt I'm getting rid of. Oh, this, the, the, the austerity itself becomes pleasurable. So that also happens in spiritual life. As you start seeing, oh, I'm, I'm really not this body. I really am a soul. It isn't just something they talked about in a class. It's something I'm starting to realize. It's something I'm starting to see. I don't have anything to do with this world. Then it's like, oh, okay, let's get there faster and faster and faster. And then it kind of becomes exciting. Or I don't know if any of you have experience with childbirth, but uh, it's like that with childbirth. You know, there's a, a you're going through the labor and the labor, and at first it's just like, oh, this is getting harder and harder and harder. And then when the baby's actually starting to be born, it gets exciting. It's like, oh, wow, another contraction. Wow, we're getting closer to having the baby. <laughs> so the very thing which is distressing, it's like, oh, when is this going to end? This isn't the nothing happening. Just, just, just. At a certain point, it switches to something that's exciting. So the, the austerity itself becomes very pleasurable.
Other people may look at it as austere and saying, oh, you know, you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of material possessions, you're just living like a monk here in this ashram, and you're like, this is great. What are the austerities we recommend? Should I say what they are then? It doesn't sound scary to Americans. Okay, you ready? Don't be scared, okay? No meat, no fish, no eggs. No intoxicants. That means even Coca-Cola. Coffee. No illicit sex, that means just in marriage for having babies, no contraception, no abortion, no being with a different person every night, and no gambling. But you know what the real austerity is? Actually, you really know what the real austerity is? The real austerity is giving up the attachment to thinking, I'm the enjoyer and the controller of the world, and I am this body, and everything here is for my enjoyment. That's the real austerity. So giving that up is so joyful, but at first it's very austere. At first it seems very painful because it's something we're attached to. That's the real austere. So it's a great pleasure, but if somebody's attached to it, it feels like an austerity. And the way you can tell that it's a great pleasure is that when you decide, I'm going to give up a little bit of this false ego and a little bit of my attachment, and you actually give it up and you say, wow, that was nice. <laughs> wow, that was nice. I, I remember when I was going to college and I decided I was going to follow the four, those four vegetarian, no gambling, no illicit sex, no intoxication. And I said, wow, now I'm free. It was quite astonishing. I thought everybody liked me. That these things were sources of happiness. And now that I've given up, I feel very free. So it's exactly like that. We're thinking, I don't have to control the world anymore. I can't control the world anyway. I'm not really the controller and the owner of this world. And I'm not even this body. Whoa! I don't have to try to do something that I can't do anyway. I'm free. But at first, like, I can't control everything. I'm not the master of everything. I'm not going to get happiness in this world. Oh no, I won't have any happiness anymore. What will I do? Ah. Anything else? Yes? Um, two things. Uh, we're going to use that to cook next column Thursday. 